Thanks for tuning in. This is episode number 144. I want to thank you for taking the time to join me on this episode. I pray that it's a blessing. Uh, And I want to say hello to um, everyone. If you've been following along with this uh, podcast uh, now, just it's been over a year now. Uh, I want to thank you for doing so. And I pray that the Lord is ministering uh, to you there. Uh, People from all across the world. It's uh, incredible how God has blessed this and sent it out to all places of the earth, places I've never even honestly knew existed. Uh, It's just, it's been incredible. And so I'm thankful for that. And and those here that are, you know, closer to me on on my side of the world, I thank you for taking the time to join as well. Um, Just a couple things I want to point out or highlight before we begin today is um, if, if there's anything in particular that you would like for me to, to study or teach, um, to, to, I guess give uh, give how I understand it. Uh, maybe you've run into issues or questions that you might have. Um, I'd be more than happy to to do that and explore those. So um, you can send me an email at the Bible Study Podcasts at gmail dot com. Uh, so it's the title of the podcast at gmail dot com. Uh, topics, uh, scriptures, maybe you'd like for me to discuss. Could be short little snippets, uh, or it could be um, maybe even full length teachings. Also, want to um, just just mention too, uh, in each episode uh, description, uh, there is links to. I have four books available: hosting his presence, biblical context for fasting, spiritual identity, and understanding biblical end times. Uh, So those are available on Amazon, um, and you should be able to click the link, and it would take you to the the location. Uh, Those of you who have already uh, reached out, uh, purchased books, um, I want to thank you for taking the chance on those. Um, it is. It's not a. It's not a little thing, and it means a lot to me that you would be interested. Um, I pray that the Lord uses them, and um, He's He's glorified in it. So uh, I think that takes care of most of the uh, additional items. So we're, today we're going to talk about a a topic, and I want to discuss and develop some thoughts regarding obedience. Now, anyone that has spent time in the church world realizes the necessity of obedience in the Christian journey. Now, even those absent faith have an appreciation for obedience as it relates to the natural world. We obey laws, bosses, parents, teachers, natural rules that reveal governing principles of our earth, such as physics, mathematics, science. These reveal principles which follow a governance. The ways that we communicate even uphold rules of English and grammar that we follow or obey societally, socially, naturally, physically, and spiritually all demonstrate the reality of obedience. Now many, and I dare say most, 
lifetimes, the natural realm, that is what you can see, taste, touch, the natural senses, this natural realm communicates and demonstrates spiritual truths of the spiritual realm that those things that you may not see, touch, smell, etc. The perhaps intangible things. Now, why do I say perhaps, if you notice that there? And I, and I do so because of 2 Corinthians 12, 2-4. Paul is writing and he says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, or whether out of the body, I do not know. God knows. Such a one was caught up to the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Now, this verse limits me from saying that the spiritual realms cannot be known by the senses. They may not be known by the senses, but they also can be known. Paul here is most likely speaking of himself and his own experience without attempting to get the notoriety from the experience. He will not boast of himself, but chooses to boast of the encounter. Now, in that verse, notice that Paul says third heaven, and then he also says paradise. So we may be able to identify this third heaven as paradise based on Paul's language here. Now, though I'm not teaching on this passage, I do want to draw your attention to it and not pass it over so quickly. It is in Scripture, and Paul found it useful enough to mention it briefly. So I spend time here to remind you that the spiritual realities can be tangible or intangible, as we can learn by Scripture. Now, physical realities are just that, physical. Spiritual realities can be both physical or non-physical. So the natural realm and the spiritual realm both contain principles of obedience. Whether you are in the faith or not, you appreciate obedience, and it is a part of your daily life. Now, I want to, I want to see or show story examples in Scripture of how crucial obedience is in the life of the Christian. Now, the story I want to draw from is from the Old Testament. Now, remember, do not say that the Old Testament doesn't apply anymore because we are in the New Covenant. Jesus fulfilled the law because we cannot, but the truths of the Old Testament, the ways of God, the personality of God remains constant. Now, if you can, you can turn there or listen depending on where you are, but we'll look at 1 Samuel. We will start in chapter 10 so that we can better understand chapter 13 and then close out with some of chapter 15. So as you make your way to 1 Samuel 10, remember, the Word of God is nourishing. It's life-giving and sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates and cuts even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. 
It judges the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. That's Hebrews 4.12. Now, just a little context here. In 1 Samuel chapter 8, we find that Samuel has been judging Israel. He is an old prophet that speaks the word of the Lord. However, Samuel's sons have not followed in his footsteps and are corrupt. They're dishonest. They're unfaithful. Israel at this point during his ministry is wanting to be like all the other nations and have a king that will fight their battles for them. Now Samuel explains what this means to the people and its leaders. Samuel explains the cost, but while also telling them that in doing this, they have rejected God as their king. Now in chapter 9, through a series of divinely orchestrated events, it is revealed to Samuel who the first king shall be, Saul. As handsome a man as could be found anywhere in Israel, and a head taller than anyone else, the Bible tells us. So this Saul was desirable. Now, let's read 1 Samuel 10 Verses 1 through 9. Then Samuel took a flask of olive oil and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him, saying, Has not the Lord anointed you ruler over his inheritance? When you leave me today, you will meet two men near Rachel's tomb at Zelzah on the border of Benjamin. They will say to you, The donkeys you set out to look for have been found. And now your father has stopped thinking about them and is worried about you. He is asking, What shall I do about my son? Then you will go on from there until you reach the great tree of Tabor. Three men going up to worship God at Bethel will meet you there. One will be carrying three young goats, another three loaves of bread, and another a skin of wine. They will greet you and offer you two loaves of bread which you will accept from them. After that, you will go to Gibeah of God, where there is a Philistine outpost. As you approach the town, you will meet a procession of prophets coming down from the high place with lyres, lyres, timbrels, pipes, and harps being played before them, and they will be prophesying. The Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you, and you will prophesy with them, and you will be changed into a different person. Once these signs are fulfilled, do whatever your hand finds to do, for God is with you. Now go ahead of me to Gilgal. I will surely come down to you to sacrifice burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. But you must wait seven days until I come to you and tell you what you are to do. As Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed Saul's heart, and all these signs were fulfilled that day. Now notice that in this encounter, that Samuel gives Saul three prophetic signs to establish in Saul's heart that the word that Samuel is telling him is trustworthy and true. 
Now, if you are not familiar with the prophetic role as it occurs in Scripture, be sure that you don't see it as a type of fortune-telling. Because that fortune-telling is an abomination to the Lord. That's Deuteronomy 18, 10 through 12. Now, you may ask, well, what is the difference between the prophet and a fortune-teller? The source. Now, you don't have to turn, maybe just write down or listen. Deuteronomy 18, 14 through 22. Now, this is Moses telling the people of the prophet's role. This is starting in verse 14 through 22, Deuteronomy 18. The nations you will dispossess, listen to those who practice sorcery or divination. But as for you, the Lord your God has not permitted you to do so. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. For this is what you asked of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, Let us not hear the voice of the Lord our God, nor see this great fire anymore, or we will die. Now just to insert here, that's out of Exodus twenty eighteen through 19. So we should be careful what we ask for. Now reading on verse 17 the Lord said to me, What they say is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites, and I will put my words in his mouth. He will tell them everything I command him. I myself will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name. But a prophet who presumes to speak in my name anything I have not commanded, or a prophet who speaks in the name of other gods, is to be put to death. You may say to yourselves, how can we know when a message has not been spoken by the Lord? If, a, if what a prophet claims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. That prophet has spoken presumptuously, so do not be alarmed. Now, I inserted there out of Exodus twenty eighteen through 19, the I, referenced it. Let us not hear the voice of the Lord our God, nor see this great fire anymore, or we will die. So the Lord was responding to their re to their request, and he's doing so through the role of the prophet, because the prophet would then hear the voice of God and communicate that to the people. Now, this is, this is a beautiful thing. When I was studying this and putting it together, I feel the Lord reminded me that in Acts 2, 1 through 4, we see the day of Pentecost when they're assembled and, and each spoke in tongues and there was a, a, what seemed as though a, a cloven tongue of fire rested upon each of their heads. This is actually a restoration of what the people had asked to not have happen to them anymore. What, what am I saying? That now in, the, in Acts 2, there's a restoration of the abiding presence of God in each and every believer who can hear the voice of God 
for themselves. And if you re- recall that moment in Exodus 20 and, and everyone's fear and trembling of the fire of God on Mount Sinai, and it's and there's as though it's a, a, a nod maybe from God to show this this cloven tongue of fire upon each head. It's it's this restoration of the voice of God and the fire of God, the the awe and greatness of God. So this acts too is God's kindness and goodness and compassion to restore that which the previous generations, namely Exodus twenty folks. Um, it's it's a restoration of what they gave up. Now, you may ask, well, does that mean that that people who function prophetically um, or the prophet does this does this not exist anymore? Is it not needed? Well, like I said, each believer can now hear for God themselves, and so, but there is still a place for the prophetic and and and, and prophet because God still wants to speak to his people. And sometimes the, the people, myself included, um, maybe some of you listening, can be a little hard-headed and perhaps be missing what God says. The, this prophetic or a prophet could speak into situations to to uh, remind you what God is is saying or has said. So this should be more so a confirmation of things or maybe a way in which you could then seek clarity from the Lord to be intentional to listening to his voice. But these passages tell us that the prophet speaks the words that the Lord God puts in their mouth. The people had asked for this when they said, let us not hear the voice of the Lord our God or we will die. So the prophet was God's compassion to the people. He gave them a voice of one crying out so that the people could hear what God was speaking. Now God has always and will always speak to his people. But remember, you, you may have asked, what's the difference between a prophet and a fortune teller? And we said it's the source now, do we have a New Testament example of this? Yes, we do. Acts 16, 16 through 18. It says, Once we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the Spirit left her. You see, this slave girl by a spirit was saying correct things. Notice it is a spirit, not the spirit. Now think on this. This spirit in the girl even had correct theology. What do I mean? She, She was saying, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She was saying right things, but by the wrong source. Now, how do I know it was the wrong source? Because of Paul, what he said, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the Spirit left her. That's a spirit. It's, 
demonic. Not the spirit. That's the spirit of God. This was a demonic spirit. Now Samuel, going back to our some of our original conversations, Samuel gave Saul three signs by prophecy. By that is by speaking the word of the Lord to solidify in Saul's heart that these things will come to pass. Believe on the word of the Lord. Now pay close attention to the closing commandment of Samuel. As it comes in verse 8. Go down ahead of me to Gilgal. I will surely come down to you to sacrifice burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. But you must wait seven days until I come to you and tell you what you are to do. Now remember that command of Samuel. I will surely come and you must wait seven days until I come to you. Now, our second part of reading is 1 Samuel 13, 1 through 15. Now, Saul was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned over Israel 42 years. Saul chose 3,000 men from Israel. 2,000 were with him at Michmash and in the hill country of Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan at Gibeah in Benjamin. The rest of the men he sent back to their homes. Jonathan attacked the Philistine outpost at Geba, and the Philistines heard about it. Then Saul had the trumpet blown throughout the land and said, Let the Hebrews hear. So all Israel heard the news. Saul had attacked the Philistine outpost, and now Israel has become obnoxious to the Philistines. And the people were summoned to join Saul at Gilgal. The Philistines assembled to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. They went up and camped at Michmash, east of Beth-Avon. When the Israelites saw that their situation was critical and that their army was hard-pressed, they hid in caves and thickets among the rocks and in pits and cisterns. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul remained at Gilgal, and all the troops were with him, were quaking with fear. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. So he said, Bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived, and Saul went out to greet him. What have you done? asked Samuel. Saul replied, When I saw the men were scattering, and that you did not come at the set time, and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought, Now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. You have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. 
Then Samuel left Gilgal and went up to Gibeah in Benjamin. And Saul counted the men who were with him. They numbered about 600. Now, there are many things that could be learned from this story. But the very purpose of this whole teaching is to show us how critically important obedience is. Saul was told to wait for Samuel. Saul went against the word of the Lord. Saul chose his own way. Even though it may have made rational sense to him in the moment, how many of us take the situations that we find ourselves in and rationalize our way to making a certain decision? I know I have been guilty of this very thing, but what a very dangerous thing that is. When we fail to adhere to the commandment of God, it will cost us greatly. This decision costs Saul an established kingdom over Israel for all time. Now, I want you to recognize the weight of that statement. 1 Samuel 13, 13, The Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. Does that sound familiar? Does that mean Saul would have lived forever? No. It means that generation after generation after Saul's lineage would have remained enthroned. Now, not only Saul's future generations would have been kings, but I submit to you for consideration that the very Messiah himself would have come from Saul's line. Now, we know that the Messiah, Jesus, was coming. We also know that biblical prophecy told us that Jesus would be born from the line of David of the tribe of Judah. So no one, no one here questions or would question that God knew how it would turn out. Thus, biblical prophecy would be fulfilled. But what I do submit to you to consider is that Saul had an opportunity to be the one through whom the Messiah would come, but failed because of disobedience. You may recall Jonathan and David's friendship. They were kindred souls knit together. 1 Samuel 18.1 highlights that. Because, and I submit to you, that they were so kindred and knit together because Jonathan was a prototype for Solomon. Now, what do I mean? If Saul had obeyed, Jonathan would have been the Solomon. You see? Now, why is that an important question? It, it should be screaming at us how important it is to obey God. The decisions that we make regarding God will determine not only our tomorrow, but also our children's 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 tomorrow. Just think about Esau selling his birthright to Jacob for a bowl of stew. Now what if he had not done that? You have done a foolish thing, Samuel said to Saul. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. When we disobey God, we behave foolishly. When we disobey God, we express that our word is greater than His word. We declare that our way is greater than His way. 
Now that should wound our hearts to hear. Does it wound your heart? We need a greater revelation of Jesus as God and King. How can we go through life ignoring our God and our King? Because we lack the appropriate revelation of who Jesus is. May God give us the grace to see Him rightly. May God give us the grace to behold Him purely. May we decrease in our own eyes and may Christ increase. Do you love the Lord Jesus? He said in John 14, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Do you see areas in your life where you keep not his commandments? These are areas in which your love is insufficient. Don't pat it or cushion the blow. Just acknowledge it. Tell him, my love is weak, my love is insufficient, my love is flawed. Help me to love you more. Help me to love you rightly. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. It's 1 John 5 verse 3. To obey God is not to pile up burden upon burden. Quite the opposite. Obedience to God is liberating. Now you may ask, well, why does it feel like a chore? Because self must be laid down. When we discover that it's not me but Christ in me, we will find liberty, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now remember, Samuel has just told Saul that he acted foolishly and his everlasting kingdom will be taken away and given to another man that is seeking God's heart. Now, have you ever wondered what God daydreams about? Many of us have imaginations and daydreams about certain things. Have you ever considered what God daydreams of? What is in the center of his heart to see come to pass across the earth. If you never pondered on this, in your quiet time of prayer and meditation with the Lord, ask Him, what do you daydream of? And then be quiet before the Lord and let Him tell you. Let Him show you pictures in your mind. Let Him give you impressions in your heart. Let Him share with you the affections that He has. I believe this is the core of David's heart. God has, quote, sought out a man after his own heart. This is not just a man who has a heart likened unto God's. I believe this is a man who is passionately pursuing what God is pursuing. Who is the one or the man or the person who is after bringing about the pleasure of God in the earth? This is a man or woman who says, God, I want to build you a house. God, I want to bring about your dreams coming true upon the earth. What do you dream, Lord? I want your dreams to come to pass. God is looking across the whole of the earth for people just like that. Now, I have good news. If that cry isn't yet in the inmost part of your being, it can be. 
God can blow upon the dust of your heart and ignite passionate pursuit for his heart. Just ask him. Now, we don't have time to read uh, 1 Samuel 15, so do that at your home or in your own time. But Saul makes another disobedient decision and does not completely follow the word of God. Saul tries to once again rationalize his decision, and Samuel makes the famous response. Quote, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. Now, the lesser-known continuation of that verse goes on to say, quote, For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Now, see that closely. God sees rebellion equally to witchcraft. That ought to make you shiver. Search your heart to see if there be any rebellion in you. God sees arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Is there any arrogance in you? Search your heart. Purify yourself by asking God to pull that out of you. Then, each and every time you find those qualities, rebellion and arrogance, trying to manifest, rebuke it in Jesus' name. Now, Saul lost his everlasting kingdom and ultimately his king role because he failed to obey the word of the Lord. Our failure to obey will cost us and our children after us. Our failure to obey will cost us the opportunity to reveal the risen Lord Jesus through our lives. Our failure to obey will cost others the opportunity to believe and come into the life-transforming power of our Lord and God, Jesus Christ. Obeying God is a big deal. It's the difference between life and death, curse and blessing, favor and rejection. Be the one that is after God's heart. Do you see areas of your life that you fail in regards to obedience? Acknowledge it to God right now and ask Him to forgive the hardness of your heart. Ask Him to keep speaking to you. Ask Him to fan the embers of your heart into flame to pursue the desires of His heart. I'd like to ask you to do something this week. Ask God what is in the desire of His heart. Wait on Him and then write down what He tells you. Keep that response close to your heart and then steward that response like the faithful servant who turned five talents into ten. Let's have a word of prayer. God, I thank you for what you're doing across this platform to proclaim your goodness and your name. I thank you for what you're doing in the hearts of everyone who is listening and who will listen in the future. I just bless them. I pray that you would you would blow on the embers of their heart and their mind, that you would ignite passion, a pursuit, nearness to your heart. 
I pray that that they would seek you above all other things, that any lesser thing would fade out into nothing and you would be magnified and glorified in their life as the preeminent one of all. I ask you that you would give us a heart and a mind set to obey, quick and swift obedience to you in the moment and to your speaking. I just thank you for your blessing. I thank you for your favor. And I pray that you would abundantly bless them exceedingly and abundantly beyond anything they ask or imagined. I ask this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. I would trade a million lifetimes for a moment here with you.